The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and, of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Uh, my guest today, uh, two people who are intimately connected with Laneway Festival, uh, which has been probably, I think, that maybe the preeminent kind of new music festival in Aotearoa and Australia over the past 20 or so years. And it's it's not a small thing to keep new in a climate that really pushes you to get old with your audience but they pulled it off which is it's kind of extraordinary and that's a lot of what we talk about they are julian caswell who's actually an old friend of mine um and uh, you know someone we came up uh in the new zealand music industry in the in the 2000s and um so it's really cool to have him on the show and and hear him talk about his role as creative producer of, of laneway over here and danny rogers who is co-founder and director of Laneway and sort of widely understood as the the sort of genius behind that that trick that they've managed to pull of just being right so many times you know he tells a really cool anecdote about um you know how how Lord came to be playing Laneway three months after that that crazy you know world dominating run in uh in 2013 and you know and it's not just her it's Billie Eilish it's 1975 it's Mitski it's just so many artists that they just they placed a bet on and and it's almost uncanny I mean last year it would have been Fred again that they place a bet when they're just sort of one of a number of artists and by the time Laneway rolls around they're the hottest artist in the world and you know that's that's no accident and that's a really hard thing if it was easy everyone would do it and pretty much no one else does so really spend quite a lot of time drilling into how they go about that and particularly how they've accomplished that during an era where so much of how the music business is conducted has has changed as I, as I discussed they started at you know, during the CD era and and right now it's in the TikTok era. And if you just think about what that implies about the rate of change to consistently express a, a brand and not get old and not lose that that spirit, is it's an extraordinary thing. So we talk about that. We talk about the the washout last year, the, the post-pandemic live environment, the rise of catalogue listening, a lot of the stuff that I've found really interesting about music over the last year or two um and danny makes reference to the you know recent news about the 
it's not the end of Pitchfork, but it's been folded into GQ and we don't necessarily know what that means uh, for it as a brand. That's a, you know, very much feels like intimately connected to Laneway and so so there's definitely discussion of that kind of thing as well with, with music media, which has also been a topic of, of interest on, on the fold lately. It's a really fun chat. I'm really grateful to both of them and, and uh, stoked to have uh, people like that uh, coming on to the fold this year. Going to look forward to trying keeping the brief really broad and, and yeah, excited to have you along with that. So this is Julian Caswell, creative producer, and Danny Rogers, co-founder and director of Laneway on the fold. And uh, welcome to The Fold. I was wondering if you could start by just introducing yourselves and just telling us a little bit about your roles and relationships with Laneway. Yeah, my name's Julian Carswell. I'm the local producer or creative producer of Laneway Auckland. Kind of started at the very bottom on the second one, second Auckland Laneway and worked my way up. And you, Danny. Hey, Duncan. My name's yeah, Danny Rogers, one of the co-founders of uh, St. Jerome's Laneway Festival, currently in the role of, I guess, managing director, programming and overseeing, you know, most aspects of the festival. Cool. And, I mean, given that, that sort of pivotal role, Danny, I wonder if you could start by telling me about the, the origins of the festival. Like, what was it about, you know, that, that you saw which made you think there was a, a hole in the market for an event like Laneway? Yeah, look, I guess I was coming up, I was in my mid-twenties, um, had been living overseas in, you know, New York and London and a few other places and um, got back to Melbourne where I'd grown up and, you know, was trying to essentially get myself into a space where I could potentially work in music and was managing some young artists and was just kind of doing all the things that you do when you're starting out. And um, in the first year or so of that, job i was hustling to try and get my artists onto festivals like the big day out which was at the time you know the festival in the southern hemisphere and um was also just a big music fan and kept thinking wow there's so many acts every year that don't seem to come here or that get overlooked and so it was a combination of thinking i need something to try and get some of my acts onto and then also sort of thinking to myself there's probably some opportunities to bring some artists that i think could do well here um the truth really is though that at the very very beginning like jerome and i'm my long-term friend and business partner on the on the festival and i really were putting on a one-year birthday celebration for his bar and it it was as organic as that like we were both just good mates that loved um hanging out together and um you know the bar that he had at the time was really like a sort of very, very cool sort of punk bar um, in the CBD of Melbourne and, you know, artists were coming in and people were coming in and I remember one night we were sort of sitting in the alleyway literally talking to the avalanches and, you know, having a few beers and um, literally conversations like, we're going to do a one-year birthday celebration, do you guys want to play? And then sort of drunkenly literally went, what about if we close this laneway down? And they went, if you guys can close this down we'll play your show. And um, at the time they hadn't played a lot of shows at all, you know, for a good couple of years. And since I left you was such a pivotal record and um, we were like, let's do this. This is, this will be really fun. And we put it on and 1400 people attended and we couldn't believe it. 
tickets were thirty six dollars fifty, and we couldn't believe that that sold out really quickly. And um, and surprisingly as well, everyone had a way better time than we anticipated. We were very inexperienced, um, and you know, but I, look, it was just really a combination of loving music, friendships, and um, sort of had a real community spirit. I loved events like you know, the Notting Hill Carnival, which is, was obviously, you know, on steroids comparatively to what we were doing. But I was like, wow, like, I love I love the origins of, you know, events like that. And um, you, there was a lot of Brooklyn street parties that I was lucky enough to go to. So I'd see all that stuff and I was like, Melbourne and doesn't really have that. Um, and from there, like, somehow I remember coming out of that show on the Sunday and on the Monday and Tuesday, like, people were just like, I could, it was just such a, crazy energy that sort of thing where people say i was there and that sort of led to a conversation with jerome and i going oh mate should we do it again next year and he's like yeah all right you know and it was there was no real strategy in terms of like a business at the time um you know we joined forces that like again just out of nowhere like michael chug who we'd kind of heard of but didn't really know very well or at all, I should say, sort of approached us and, you know, I was like, I heard you guys have put on this good street party, you know, come and meet me in Sydney. So we went up and met him and, you know, that was a whole experience for us at the time as well. I mean, walking into his, like, office and he's wearing a Deodora tracksuit and, like, smoking ciggies and, like, joints and I'm like, fuck, this is proper wow okay and he's like go down to circular key in sydney go have a look around we can put one on there and we were just thinking this was hilarious we're like what the fuck um and sure enough you know he was to his word and we we did it there and um you know consequently that then sort of i remember the that year um mark kneebone who was one of the founding partners of the Auckland show came over and another good friend of all of ours, Dave Bench, small world. He was a friend of mine, mine and my wife's. And he said, Hey, um, you know, you got to meet Mark. He wants to meet you about a laneway in Auckland. And I was like, really? Okay, cool. And so we're walking up Brunswick street in Fitzroy and this is bloke going, yeah, mate, I'd love to, love to do it. You know, you guys can. And what we noticed over that period of time every year really as it developed was like it seemed to capture a certain person's imagination and they'd come to us with an idea and a location and we were just kind of in a stage in our lives i guess where we're just you know like you think still are but we're certainly really open to ideas and collaborations and just finding like-minded people and 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 then seeing what we could achieve um even though the idea of achieving stuff was just putting on the show and doing something fun like you know, it's first five or six years, you know, if we broke even, we were thrilled, you know, and, and, you know, ironically, that's probably still the case half the time. So, <laughs> so, so Julian, I mean, you were on the other sort of side of it, like more, more, you know, a baby promoter, but also the fan side when, when Laneway first showed yeah. up here. Um, and and it's it's kind of what you nodded at a bit there, Danny. There was this level of kind of curation and a and a sort of sphere of artists who you'd kind of read about, but you never expected to show up here. That that was kind of my abiding memory of those early years here, which is still really the case. I mean, Julian, from your perspective, what did you what sort of stood out for you that that made you want to get involved and and made it kind of memorable and different for those first few New Zealand audiences? 
It's quite funny that Danny mentions Mark Nebone reaching out and via Dave Benj because at the same time, I kind of saw it bubbling away in Australia and I hit up Dave Benj asking, who are these laneway people and can you introduce me? But Mark, Mark <laughs> Nebone had already got in there. So I don't know. You, you could just <laughs> see that there was something fresh brewing and like Danny says, there was a gap in Australia in the market there, but you could kind of identify it from looking from afar that it was something similar, a gap similar to fill in New Zealand. Yeah, just um, with the big day out kind of not losing relevance, but maybe not evolving or just reaching the end of its life span then. Yeah, there was a gap for that culture of a summer festival. I mean, it's interesting you mentioned the big day out because what, what seemed to happen to it is what happens to a lot of festivals is that they start out in a place of the new and then they get old with their audience. They happens to media brands, happens to all kinds of things beyond uh, music or festivals too. It's a really hard thing to kind of resist that, that impulse, but Laneway has kept that. Um, you know, Danny, I wonder if you could speak to how you've done that, like especially given all of the other kind of waves of disruption which have flowed through the broader music ecosystem since you since you founded the festival. Yeah, um, I think like firstly, Big Day Out, even though we're a very different event in many regards, I still, as a kid coming up, put that on a pretty big pedestal. And like when I say that, I just admired the the sheer volume and ambition of what they were doing and um you know ken and vivian were incredibly supportive of us like they thought we were like i remember ken ringing me one day and saying i was shitting myself i'm like oh god here we go this is where you get told get out of town or something (laughs) and um like you know i just want to say mate i'm like okay he's like i just want to say mate i think you guys are actually doing something interesting and you know, I wish you all the best with what you're doing. You remind me of us when we were coming up. And I remember thinking, okay, cool. Well, shit, that's weird. But also, okay, he's not going to threaten to, you know, close us down. And so I guess over the years we respected it and uh, and it taught us to be better programmers because we knew if anyone was like of any stature that was on the radar of the big day out, but we weren't even in the conversation. We didn't have the budgets. We didn't have the name we didn't have anything so we had to really go much deeper into the programming and it really pushed us to go into a certain space so i really in many ways people go oh how do you deal with that but like we would that pushed us into thinking outside the square on a much more profound level and find and develop and, and nurture something that was different um over the years as the festival's grown um you know, almost like accidentally successful in many ways in that regard, if that's, you know, a way to look at it. We, um, you know, artists, the word of mouth gets out, people start hearing about the show, artists come back from tour saying, oh, my God, I had just the best time, you should do that festival. Agents start ringing you going, hey, my artist would really love to be considered for your festival. You know, you learn more, you want to put on better productions, Um you know, that kind of stuff, it's, um, you know, you, you naturally do take steps, you know, and but at the same time, we, you know, we've seen so many festivals come into, you know, different markets and watch the sort of, 
you know, the way they program and stuff. And, and I guess I just kept looking at going, how do we kind of maintain the core values of how we started? And that doesn't mean that like we can't have, you know, an artist that would actually be worth a lot of tickets playing the show, but they're still got to fit the values of what the festival is trying to do. And, um, you know, a big element of that is still trying our best at all times to get artists on the lineup that haven't been to the region for a long time or if at all. And, you know, it's not always an easy undertaking as you can imagine, but it's also just a big part of our philosophy of just that side of it. And also like listening to others, like, you know, people kind of go, Danny, you know, you got this, you know, I'm learning all the time from people young and old. And I just take a lot of inspiration in, you know, people that are authentically excited about music and listening and giving them, you know, the opportunity to do what I used to do, which was the same thing. And so it's, it's a mixture of things. But interestingly, going into sort of this year, I guess, after obviously last year's unfortunate situation, um, we, you know, I'm looking at things even differently again. And I'm like, okay, how do we how do we define the next window of time? And, and that's, that's a really, and I get excited by that stuff. I don't want to do the same show every year. I don't want to give you the same expected lineups. I don't want to give you, when I say you, plurally speaking, obviously I don't want, I just want to not be expected. I kind of like to think of us like Radiohead or something where they, they, you get what the promoter thinks you want, because I think when you do that, you just kind of end up in a place where it does become slightly inauthentic and the audience you know you want to take them on the journey not you take them on the journey yeah absolutely i mean thinking about that you know you just made reference to it that um you know what what happened last year which was such a heartbreaker for you know even you know for fans is one thing but i can imagine how it was for you know the sort of biz, you know that kind of business slash cultural thing of, of putting that line up together and then just having this absolute, um, you know, just act of God kind of wash it away. Uh, you know, how did you, J- Julian, like well, how, how did that sort of impact the, the New Zealand team and how did you sort of start to pick up to, um, to build this year's event? It was very um, weird situation to go through, demoralising but also... You know, when it, when the rains first hit, you still got to work through a whole process of what's going to happen. And um, externally, there's lots of pressure to make a call to cancel quickly, but we need to go through how to do that appropriately and work through the process. So it was kind of reassuring that how close the team stuck together, taking the right steps. And then uh, once we made the call, it was kind of like a big exhale of pressure. And then daunting just the sheer admin and then the site still underwater with raw sewage on it so you wonder like how long how long is this going to take to clean up how long is the paper trail going to be and just the things about doing a festival is you know you can have a stressful time in the lead up and then you do a successful show and the good times are accentuated Whereas, you know, if you're just left with a cancellation and all the bad things to tidy up, it doesn't leave a good feeling. But, you know, the team really came together in that time of tidying it all up and um, were really united. So that was quite a good feeling despite the circumstances of it all. 
yeah, but it was daunting kind of prospect kind of dealing with it all, that's for sure. In terms of that uh, creative producer role that you were sort of carefully trying to trying to diminish when you introduced it. Do you want to just kind of explain what it is? Because it is actually kind of, it's, it's, it is quite enormous and, and, it, and very much shapes how the festival presents on yeah. the ground here and how that's different from how it might be expressed in other markets. Yeah, well, I guess um, touching on what Danny was saying is that um, I'm a music fan. I come from a music place of just being a music fan and then found my way to doing this job and um, started attending Big Day Out when I was 14 and from Hamilton. And what I really enjoyed is just how the day of going to the Big Day Out would make me feel. And so I think that's the way I felt when I was 14, 15, 16, going to Big Day Out is that's my motivation of Laneway Auckland is trying to get, get our patrons or our punters to feel that same way. And just be impressed by what we're doing and then, yeah, have that day where they're just lost and going to see their favourite bands and look at all people watching and all the art looks cool. Would you mind if I expanded on that a bit? I, I, I would love it if you would because it, it, uh, Julian's like kind of almost toxic modesty. <laughs> it's, it's holding yeah. us back here. Yeah, so Julian's role is to work closely with us on, you know, main, always maintaining and this has been a really important part of the the festival in New Zealand is recognising it as its own festival with its own culture, with its own, um, you know, feel. And, and, and that's something I think not just Julian but others have done unbelievably well over time. And, and, and I personally, you know, was a huge fan of a lot of Kiwi bands coming up as a kid, number one, and then like knew that like the culture was different and didn't want to try and just go, you're getting the Australian version. So Julian's role is, you know, discussing talent, looking at all the local things, just feeling the market and being able to sort of give us a really great sense of what is happening there, what is uh, just all the ins and outs of a space that has its own ecosystem. And then also, because he knows how much we can and it's why I think he's involved and has come from very, like, you know, started wherever he started, you know, but as he understands that things like the food and the feel of the site and the aesthetic, like, we really care about that stuff and, you know, as far as budgets permit, we invest a lot of energy into getting that stuff to be part of the experience and, and I think there's a lot of pride and love in making sure that that's done in a way that represents, um, you know, New Zealand and the, and the culture there and, and, and I think personally I believe that's why the New Zealand show has been so well regarded for so long um, is because of that they don't feel like you've just been handballed a festival from Australia and you know that's the end sort of thing and of course New Zealand benefits from us being able to sort of get acts nationally and then put them on and that's often you know that's one of the amazing upsides but yeah it's always like hey you know what do we think about this and what do you guys think about that and you know where do we think this sits and all those sorts of questions and yeah i really enjoy that it's been grateful for the you know for the guys on the ground who are helping and julian's julian and you know camels come on board this year as well and uh two last two years and has also added a lot of just wisdom and um that stuff is is huge So Danny, thinking about when you know, the, the festival started and, and kind of 
roughly like peak CD era and, and is now well into the, the TikTok era, which, which is, you know, kind of masks a huge amount of change in the dynamics of how particularly new music discovery happens. And yet, you know, as, as you discussed, the brand of Laneway is a place for new music. Like there's almost like a a meme around most offices where every Laneway lineup comes out and people are like, I haven't heard of any of them in three years' time. Those are your favourite artists. Which to do that repeatedly against such in such a dynamic environment is is quite extraordinary. I'm just curious about the extent to which the the, the sheer volume of, of data that, that kind of exists in the world how that interplays with with the kind of gut decisions you've made over the years to that and and been correct about like you know how do those how do you use those two sort of uh quite opposed in some ways sources yeah i mean i think i started completely gut like that was it the gut the end um and then as sort of you know things evolved and the world evolved and data became actually something to sort of use as a reference you know, you use it to a certain extent, but ultimately, like, I kind of I can't really see past whether we just think the music's great or not, and that's an opinion that, you know, look, and there's been times where I'm like, eh, I don't know, like, that just feels a little bit, like, obvious or that doesn't sound like it's going to be that culturally significant. Um, and I'm wrong, of course, that could be, you know, like, I'm not always right, um, and and that's why there's a, a group of people that we all talk about music and learn from and stuff. But yeah, I think ultimately I, I, I go with gut. I'd still say 90% of the time, you know, some data and knowing a record's coming out and knowing that like certain people are supporting the record or whatever, all definitely things that we don't just disregard. Of course. Oh yeah. They've, you know, got a label that's just signed Excel's to sign them and this big new priority or something. You're like, Oh, that's amazing. You know? So you know, I, one of the things I'd probably say to people is that, you know, if a new artist comes up in three or four different conversations that I'm involved in in a short period of time, I'm usually pricked and like, okay, this is interesting. People that I respect have all mentioned something. And a good example of that was probably um, Lord back, you know, whenever that was. And, you know, funnily enough, like she, her manager at the time asked me if, I could get her backstage. She was just randomly never heard of her. And I think Mark or Jules or someone said, oh, can we bring her back? I was like, yeah, just bring her back and put her next to that old bloke, Neil Finn over there. And she'll be right. Um, you know, it'll look like a, you know, granddad. Um, and, you know, so we did that just, and, and not, no, I didn't know who she was. I, I did, I couldn't, you know, just it was nice people that we kind of, you know, thought would just help out. And, you know, then the manager wrote an email saying, we're so grateful. That was so cool. Like she loved the show so much. She was just, you know, blah, blah, blah. I was like, oh, cool. No worries. Anytime. And then I went overseas and I bumped into someone and said, have you heard of this girl from New Zealand? And I was like, oh, I think that was the one that emailed me the other day. And then went to England and someone said, oh, are you across this girl? Um, And I was like, oh, this is interesting. So I then went back and said to everyone, hey, should we pay attention and I was like, yeah, there's a vibe. And I was like, it's, and I listened to a song. I said, this is sick. And like, no one, but no one was thinking this is huge or this is that. And we just kind of went and sort of booked her. And like, it wasn't like a clever booking or something. It was just like the music sounded great. And she was young and interesting. And I loved the fact that she'd politely asked to come to the festival as a sort of, you know, underage kid and sort of watch a few really cool bands. I think like Deer Hunter or something. And I'm like, any kid that's into like Deer Hunter and, 
you know, Conan Moccasin is, you know, engaging. And, and so that was that. And, and, and then, so that's the sort of random things that can happen. And, and that is honestly, honestly, the true story of how these things happen. You know, I remember sort of, so there's just so many stories like that that I could share of, you know, and, and it could simply be someone like, I don't know, like people I look up to, like, you know, Warren Ellis saying, have you heard of like this band or whatever? And I'm like, what? I can't even believe this person's asking me if I heard of them, let alone. So you just pay attention to all those things. That's what I've learned to do and listen to others and learn from others and, and all that sort of thing. And and I think that's, it's, it's certainly not just me going, all right, I'm, you know, this person, it's very much a, a team effort of lots of, lots of people and, you know, it's probably the most fun part is having so many awesome people around that share their musical ideas and some are really engaged and others might be just someone from the UK, like a friend might from a record label or a manager might go, hey, mate, have you heard this artist? I thought you'd really like it. I feel like it would be great for Laneway. And um, you go, okay, and all that sort of stuff. I don't know if that answers the question so much. but um, and, and, look, it's luck and timing, Duncan. You know, sometimes you get it absolutely, like, perfectly timed maybe lord was a good example of that um you know obviously fred cancelled like the show cancelled last year but fred was the really good example again of that um for us last year sometimes you miss out by a few months you know sometimes it's mitski four years later you know and you're like wow look at this like but at the core of it was just us thinking the music was great. And and I think what you said about like, yeah, sometimes, you know, three years later, we're looking at lineups for Laneway going, wow. And I think that's a reflection of just us being music fans. And that's what we get right. We get right being a music fan um, because we are. And if you put that first and if you put data ahead of being a music fan, what the fuck are you? Like you're just, you know, it's just all, it just turns the whole thing into, it, it just becomes corpo overnight. That's a nice segue into something I wanted to talk about, which is the the kind of live music space post COVID. You know, obviously you get shut down, and then there's this incredible boom that feels like an emotional welling up of people who are kept inside really want to go out and do something. And, and a lot of the time, that's live music, but it's also coincided with like the massive rise of catalog listening and a, a kind of nostalgia circuit that didn't exist before really rearing up, um, some of which will be kind of challenging to laneway in, in, in different ways and also the hyperinflation of different aspects of what you do. Do you want to just speak to what, what the hell's happened over the, the sort of four or five years since, since the pandemic, um, maybe the, the pair of you? It's turned upside down. I mean, if you start by just focusing on the costs of doing a show, whether it's a small show for a thousand people or 500 people to something like Laneway, you know, 25,000 tickets. It's like the costs are extraordinary. You know, you could buy a one bedroom apartment in Auckland for the same price as what you pay for the production to give you an example. It's just insane. So it is pretty scary how that part of the sort of, you know, the evolution has is making things more challenging. You know, I think people had a lot of lives had two years out of the market and they obviously didn't have income coming in. So they've come out of the pandemic and they wanted to, they're obviously like 
people are a lot, lot less kind of going, oh, yeah, I'll just go down there and do that thing they need to you know, feel confident, like all their costs are really high. So there's there's that challenge. And then going to the next question, which is more in the, you know, the world of how do you, like what is going on with people's discovery of music? I mean, you know, we all let last week the Pitchfork is amalgamating with GQ. Whoa, you know, and, you know, we can all go, we don't care about Pitchfork or whatever, but like it really, to me, it was like, a pretty big signal of how print media is now becoming almost like, you know, it went obsolete out of the street press and now it's like moved into online. And, and that's a pretty, cause you know, those sorts of places are where we could at least, you know, cause there's so much music being released as we all know. And even for us, it's like, there's only so much time in the day that all of us have to be hearing. And so there were certain places where you could at least kind of hear about things, another touch point. So, yeah, and, and suddenly, you know, radio is sort of, you know, when I say struggling, it's just in a challenging minute where, you know, the younger generations don't listen to radio, right? They're on TikTok and they're on streaming and streaming is huge. And so we, I, I just keep thinking it's a really, really exciting time because it goes back now to even going deeper into like us being, you know, the music fans that like whatever we discover, we won't see it all. We, we will know, we know what good music is because we haven't relied on data and the data moves so fast anyway, that if you're relying on the data, like you've already, you know, so, you know, but in saying that, like if you bring me up and said, Danny, have you heard this artist that's just blowing up on TikTok? I'm not going to just go, don't talk to me. How dare you mention TikTok? I'd be like, what's happening? What's the artist? It's like, oh, it's Faye Webster. Oh, I love Faye Webster. Really? Oh, yeah, kids are going nuts for it. How good's that? You know, because what I'm seeing out there as well is that like the younger generation have awesome music taste. Like I'm so excited. Like I'm sitting talking to my daughter and her friends who are 13 and they're talking about, you know, Mitski, Faye Webster, Tame Impala, like all this stuff. And I'm like, oh, you know, and so that's a good sign to me, um, you know, they just, I think, got so much more choice and uh, and therefore we just, yeah, I think it's it's it, it's harder. It's, it's harder in that we don't have those easier touch points, those gatekeepers that we all would have relied upon to a certain extent in Australia. Triple J obviously had such an impact on the local market and, um, you know, it's not to say it still doesn't have a, a strong, an important position in, in Australian music. Of course it does. But like those are just becoming less of a gatekeeper situation. And so it's like, the, you know, the, the, the music fans decide and we'll finish up on that point by sort of saying the other really interesting thing when you talk about catalog and, and stuff is for a young person, like a new song, it could be any song they've never heard of you know and so that's really interesting like you know i love that like bands like pavement or you know like artists beach house are suddenly having these extraordinary moments slow dive you know because kids are discovering catalog and going oh my god how good's this like sound and oh it's so dreamy and awesome the sundays are having a moment like i love that because i'm like wow how these artists deserve their timeless music deserves to be like like celebrated and the fact that kids don't kind of have it served up as new music like they did on radio in the past is they just decide if they've never heard it and their friends like it, they'll get into it. And, and that's really, really exciting. And so from my position, 
I look at programming differently again. I go, well, hey, like what would stop us from booking an artist that could be 60 years of age? Whereas maybe five years ago, I was like, oh, the young kids will probably struggle with like, you know, an artist that's sort of from a, they won't know who it is. I'll think it's dad rock. So I think it opens a whole other world of opportunity to program and, and, and think differently. Uh, it's 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 a it's good to hear a positive perspective on that because there's been in, especially in this local market a lot of doom about um, that sort of some of it justified about the state of music media for example but but also about what TikTok has done and and it's kind of refreshing to hear that that upside version of it as well. Um, finally, I just wanted to ask you, Julian, about uh, the there must be some kind of quite cool full circle feeling with UMO headlining this year uh you know which is a kind of has has very connected dna to to the first show you ever put on um with the mint chicks you want to just talk about that that decision and 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 what that means to you as a as a person who's been in this business a long time yeah it is a beautiful story for me and even just being involved in the festival we think you know i'm a music fan I've got no formal qualifications and here I find myself and you, you find yourself thinking like if I could tell 15 year old me where I, what I'm doing when I'm 43, it would blow my mind that, um, you know, I'm working on this really amazing music festival with all these acts and, um, I've really achieved a lot of the goals that I set out to achieve starting out, but yeah, just, um, UMO is like a neat story that they were a band, the Minchicks, before, and they were so incredibly talented and a, a band that changed New Zealand music, but for whatever reason, didn't really get the success that they deserved and um, was on the verge of working out in a sad way. And then so to see them go on and do UMO with a selling out Royal Albert Hall and these huge venues all across the world, and then to host them in Auckland headlining stage 20 years later is kind of like a really beautiful moment. So it's, and then they're, they're playing a prominent role on the Australian festival as well. So, yeah, there's been lots of ups and downs, and when you think of your career, these acts are like little touchstones of like, okay, there's been ups and downs with them, but, you know, we've been loyal to each other and here we find ourselves. So believe, believe, believe in them, they believe in you and, and this is what can happen. Oh, it's, no, it's a beautiful thing and uh, can't, can't wait to, to, to watch it go down. Uh, thank you both so much for, for coming on today and for being so candid and generous with your time and insights. Um, and yeah, fingers crossed we get weather like we've got to today and, um, and it goes off without a hitch. You, you deserve it very much. Yeah, thanks so much. Thanks, Duncan. Thanks for your interest, mate. We, we, we're grateful for that as well. Look forward to meeting you in a couple of weeks, hopefully. Kia ora e te iwi. Te ai he butler here, podcast manager at The Spin-Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a spin-off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.